our non-binary friends, to everyone on the spectrum and in between. Welcome to The Shutter Show. My name is Ken Stacknick, and this is my co-host... David Marlowe. And David, we are here to talk to, uh, talk about the 1989 film Vampire's Kiss starring Nicolas Cage. I mean, we can talk to this film. We can talk to this film. We can talk about this film. We can talk around this film. There is much to be said. So about many directions to go with this one. This is a movie of many parts, of many pieces, of many moods, many emotions. <laughs> it, is, it is complex. It is an enigma wrapped in a mystery, stuck inside of a Rubik's Cube, stashed inside of a maze guarded by a minotaur. It is a conundrum. It is... Everything and nothing. Vampire's Kiss is... It is both a sphinx that can tell you exactly what it's thinking and then can just be a sphinx. It is both the sphinx and the mystery of the sphinx. It is all things and nothing. (laughs) It is... Speaking of enigma, Ken, how are you doing? I am recovering (laughs) from seeing... A movie that can best be described as a fever dream on peyote. It is the origin of Nicolas Cage. It is the... I regret not being stoned out of my gob for this one. It. I, I don't even understand how you survived without it. Because I... In the words... Of a Nigerian cab driver in Chicago who I once met. David, when I watched this movie, I was high as giraffe pussy. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm very glad that I was because oh my God. it is the only way oh, I'm stealing that. that this movie made any sense to me. And let's be clear, it made no sense at all. Um, and that is one of the things that I definitely took away from this film was going in like it's not that it was different than I expected because it was almost exactly what I expected but not at all what I expected this movie is because we, we were giving you regular text updates as we were watching this film mm-hmm. and, and Katie did join me for this one um, and my wife at one point, just got so exhausted by the film that she's just like, I need to check out. Because, like, after a while, it, it was one of those cases where, like, she's... I, I, she's a lot less eager to grab onto some of these films than she is for others. Well, she's not my co-host, so she's oh, no, yeah. to. Oh, no, I know. But I just, I most of the time force her to watch these. And I, that's, that's more on me than anything. Um, but it, it, Nick, oh, where to begin? First starters, just Nicolas Cage. That man is just a fascinating piece of cinema history. And, and this is the first time, and I think in learning this from you, this is the first time that I'd actually heard that he was Francis Ford Coppola's uh, nephew, mm-hmm. I had no idea that yep. they were in any way, shape, or form related, and now it makes a lot of sense how he got his career well, with the performances that he put in. Well, it's definitely how he got his start, and yeah. then this particular film 
Nicolas Cage cites as a personal favorite of his own, and he also cites it as the movie where he kind of tried out his own personal style for the first time. His kind of mixture of what he refers to as like silent movie acting mixed with... Uh, kind of kabuki theater like German expressionism exactly like uh, all of these the the commitment to non-reality yeah well this is a dude who really took Stanislavski to heart at some point when he because he was a big method actor for the longest time but then he found it exhausting like he like so much to the point that he actually removed two of his teeth for a role and I'm trying to remember specifically what it's for, but, like, he did this. Um, God, what movie was it from? I, it was definitely early in his career. Um, I'll think of it. I'll, once I find it, I'll, I'll let you know what it is. But, yeah. It's, like, Moonstruck? Or? Might, it might have been Moonstruck. Okay. Um, I think his character was either, like, mentally handicapped or just handicapped. Uh, he, well, he was missing Gen- a hand. That's the big thing with, uh, with Moonstruck, is that he's, he, he's got no hand. Yeah. And Moonstruck was definitely, like, one of the big films that hit for Nicolas Cage right before this. Like, he was coming off of this. And, or he was coming off of Moonstruck and did this. And his agents and his managers were like, this, it, no, you, you should not do this movie. This movie is insane. You you should do a big studio something other. You should do something safe to solidify your up and coming career. And he pretty much insisted on doing this. And one of the fascinating things about researching this movie is when you watch this movie it seems it seems almost inexplicable that this movie isn't a giant improv nightmare that like Nicolas Cage didn't show up on set every day just do whatever he want he wanted to the whole time well it was a, it was a great big workshop for him pretty much well no actually in doing a bunch of research on the film there's an amazing article actually um on the ringer nothing in this movie is improvised every every single line that Nicolas Cage says is Even the ABCs, yeah. To the script, including the ABCs. Was the, it Jagger that he was trying to... Well, the only thing that is improvised in the entire movie is the eating of the cockroaches, or the water bugs, which Nicolas Cage did for real. He ate... and Because I, I listened to a bit of the commentary as well, and he talks about the fact that he actually had to eat two cockroaches, mm-hmm. specifically because the director needed to do another take yep. and the hilarious part is the director used the first take and I, I even in the commentary the director's like well that was kind of me getting back at you um, which it seems now like in the commentary like they're the best of friends and they it doesn't doesn't seem like there was ever like things were ever too contentious well, I mean, between the, them the fact that this was like this is like on the surface this very much seems like a movie where you have a completely unhinged star who's just doing whatever he wants and you have a director who's desperately trying to rate him in and no this is a total and complete collaboration between two artists who are doing exactly what they wanted to do 
And they hired Nicolas Cage to be this big and crazy. And Nicolas Cage was as big and crazy as he is. And he did this movie for, I think it was $40,000, which he says on the commentary track which pretty much was like he's he says i did this movie for nothing he spent this movie i believe partially on a sports car yeah because i mean because if any of you follow any anything regarding nicholas cage like he is famously bad with money well he's he buys uh which is why he does so many movies he, he will he also buys super you know superman comics like single digit number superman comics he bought a Tyrannosaurus Rex skull that ended up getting impounded because it ended up being exported illegally. I'm still, I just still he, find it tragic he that he never played a Superman. sports car, and in the trunk was a bunch of Superman comics. So like, there's all of that. There, he's Nicolas Cage is the gift that keeps on giving. He he. Have you seen the documentary about Nick Cage and? Um, the, the Superman movie that he was going to make oh, with yeah, Tim no, Burton. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, which, once again, like, rest in peace uh, to Shep, who did this this documentary, who passed away a couple of years ago. I think he's also behind um, uh, Metalocalypse, one mm-hmm. of my favorite adult animated series. Um, but no, that is a fascinating story behind how Nicolas Cage was almost about to make the most bizarre Superman adaptation to date because I mean it would have made sense that you're like okay Tim Burton did Batman let's see what Tim Burton does with Superman and uh, the answer to that is he does not do it at all like you would expect him to do it well he does Tim Burton Superman which would be yeah. a completely different thing which I mean and look I... look up the picture of Nicolas Cage Superman it, yeah it, it, it's fascinating and to be fair that suit is uh, from what I understand part of the resurrection suit so it was only supposed to be used for a few minutes of the movie when Superman has died and is being brought back to life, blah, blah, blah. So that is not the normal, everyday Superman suit that he was going to be wearing. But it definitely gives you a window into what could have been. And one of the fascinating things I think about about Nicolas Cage, and specifically Nicolas Cage in this movie, is... It's the first time that you really realize that Nicolas Cage is one of the only actors who tends to tone him, his normal persona down in order to be in a movie where you normally hear about, you know, Viggo Mortensen is like a a total warrior poet. He's very quiet and very kept to himself. And yes, he can come out here and he can play Aragorn and be this, you know, big guy who gives a big speech to all of his men. But actually, in reality, he's a pretty quiet guy like no Nicolas Cage in reality is just like the biggest craziest guy in the world, whole world who most of the time has to like oh do you want me to wear my uh, you know my spiky stud jacket it's all it's all it's all leather and it's got a poodle on the back and you're like no we were just thinking like a coat and he's like oh okay I'll just, I'll just put on a normal coat <laughs> yeah if you're if you are a director working with Nicolas Cage you gotta be somebody who can rein him in when you need to he so the closest so I had a friend who went to the premiere of Mandy. and Lucky bastard. Yes. And they had a Q&A with Nicolas Cage. And he referred to himself as the West Coast Klaus Kinski. And there has never been a better description of what Nicolas Cage is, what he brings to the table, what it means when you're going to choose to wrangle him. And 
the fact that you're going to get a surprise performance out of him. Both Nicolas Cage and Klaus Kinski are two guys who are going to give you an incredibly... Who is Klaus Kinski? Klaus Kinski is the co-star of most of the films that made Werner Herzog famous. Okay. And they famously loved and hated each other. At the end of Fitzcarraldo, the local village people said to Herzog that they were really uh, thankful for all the work that he had brought them and all the times that they had had and if they wanted to as a favor they'd totally kill Klaus Kinski for him as like a just a solid he uh, got really mad one day that people were talking too much when he was trying to concentrate on his lines so he grabbed a shotgun and just fired it directly into the crew tent and blew off the fingers of one of the costume ladies he uh, was pretty famous for and was not thrown in jail immediately no uh, there was uh, he uh, it was the 70s it was a different time uh, they they would they thought constantly. is there a documentary about um, this human so being? Uh, yes uh, my best fiend which is a movie by Werner Herzog about his best fiend best friend Klaus Kitsky Werner Herzog, the man who made Grizzly Man, the man who has walked on the edge of of volcanoes, uh, the man... And is best friends with Baby Yoda. uh, The man who is best friends with (laughs) with Baby Yoda, a man who has... A man who was once shot in the middle of an interview and said, it's okay, let's go on, it was not a significant bullet. Oh shit, he pulled a Teddy Roosevelt. Uh Uh-huh. Pulled a bull moose right there. Werner Herzog said of Klaus <laughs> Kinski, every gray hair on my head I call Kinski. To give you an idea of the intensity of Klaus. So, and, and I would say Nicolas Cage is probably no, no different. He is, I assume, being a family member and a, or someone who is close in Nicolas Cage's orbit there's got to be stories. It's got to be. It's got to be an intense oh, situation. Oh, it has to be. It has to be. There's no way any of that's simple. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to date Nicolas Cage. Uh, that's a exciting. Is probably the best way. Like you would never have any idea. Am I? What was am I? Next. Am I going to wake up to an alligator in my bed? Mm-hmm. I have no clue. Yeah, alive or dead. Perhaps uh, you know the fossil of an alligator. There's a lot of uh, opportunities for uh, alligator storytelling. And he literally just scare the shit out of you by doing his weird eye thing when you wake up. Yeah, and, and it might just be her fault because her name was Allie. Who knows? It, like it could be my alligator. Yes. No. Exactly. <laughs> be like, and now there's an alligator in the house. Be like, well, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So anyway, um, vampires <laughs> kiss. This yes. movie is. This movie is. Talking about this movie is so also difficult because there's almost no movie. This movie is essentially Nicolas Cage is a literary agent and he goes to a nightclub and he meets a lady and that goes relatively well. And Which then he you, goes, you learn nothing about this lady, by the way. Yeah, and then he goes to a different club and meets a very similar looking lady who's a vampire and bites him and then he turns into a vampire question mark or goes crazy i love her reaction at the end to where 
She's like, yeah, I know you. How are you? Like, her reaction to, like, like when he accosts her in the club at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. I gotta say, her reaction is priceless. Literally just being like, yeah, I guess I know. Dude literally just, like, went up and nearly attacked her. He's like, how, how are you? Like, I, everything about this movie just is not the first place you go. It's... It is a movie that that is seemingly more complex than you would think because it's it, it's much it's much more it, like it's much more a portrait of mental illness than you think it's gonna kind of yeah. be. Yeah, and like at first when you get into it, it just seems like it's gonna be like a wacky, crazy. I thought it was actually gonna be a vampire thing. Yeah, and then as the movie goes on, you start to realize that they're kind of like playing that line. And you're, and it's kind of sympathetic. And then finding out from uh, the commentary and some of the behind the scenes stuff. So the screenwriter was going through a really traumatic relationship and a very toxic one with you his. You don't say. Yeah. And he kind of uh, processed a lot of it in the writing of this. And then things got really bad as they went into production. And it's. That's that's like that's like saying that the director of Requiem for a Dream was going through a tumultuous relationship during Mother. Yes, uh, another good example is uh, it turns out that when they were making Temple of Doom, both Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were getting uh, divorced, which is why the female characters in Temple of Doom perhaps are not as independent and well-drawn as some of the other movies in the, well, we'll say trilogy, because there's only three of those movies, and I will not hear any anything otherwise. So yeah, just Good the, man. Just the Good three man. Indiana Jones movies. Good man. Now, so, so yes, so Vampire's Kiss is it, it's an incredibly simple movie. To a certain extent, it's kind of like stupid American psycho, I want to say. Like <laughs> that is how I've heard it described. It's it's just like all of the nuance that you see in Patrick Bateman is completely thrown out the window, and it's just like, oh no, I know exactly what this person is thinking as they're looking at this because he's literally screaming it at them. There, yeah, there's no, there's almost no subtext. Instead of an inner monologue about how the business card is embossed, it's it would literally just be Nicolas Cage being like. Oh my God! This card is amazing. Well, when he when he cries, he literally says "boo hoo." There's a real attempt. That was him literally wanting to get it, see if he could get away with it, right? I mean, yeah, but also it's the the really interesting, in quotes or at least italicized, take that he has on this of of this kind of kabuki theater, this kind of super impressionistic cubist performance that I mean that really marks the first of the Nicolas Cage performances without well, this you don't get Mandy well you you made a comment on um, silent movies and 100% if you took this and you took away all of the dialogue and just turned this into a silent movie like I, I do believe that Nicolas Cage would have been a perfect silent film actor oh 100% it's just everything that he does is over the top. I don't think he knows really... 
how to do unless he's like unless he's in a movie that he's doing specifically because he needs to pay a bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Outcast comes to mind, and even that was a little adaptation. I mean, it's just it's. I I think I think with Nicolas Cage, if you don't rein him in, he's gonna give you full Nicolas Cage because he assumes that's what you're paying for. It, um, both him and Bruce Willis became movie stars around the same time. Yeah, both of which have done action movies, both of which have done big budget stuff, both of which have done smaller independent stuff, and. Bruce Willis in movies nowadays always looks like he is pretty upset that he has to be on set that day and he is there Bruce to, Willis genuinely doesn't like film. He is there to cash a check Yeah, and he is there to do the exact amount of work that is necessary for him to get that check. Yeah, Nicolas Cage shows up on set and wants to know how much Nicolas Cage do you want? 110% or less? And... There are people who know how to rein him in, and that's when he wins his Oscar for leaving Las Vegas, or that's when you get a, a performance out of him. That's when you get adaptation. Yeah, that's when you get adaptation. Uh, and then also there are times that you say, like, let, let the cork off, and you let and let him do Mandy, and he gives you something that you've never seen before. And I also really sometimes... really see Color of Space. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, and oh. sometimes it's going to get o- away from you. But like that's, I don't know. That, that's that's the risk. I mean, that that's the gamble that you get with Nicolas Cage. Is you're going to get Nicolas Cage, and, and are you are are you steering into the curve or away from the curve? Also, fun fact: uh, Nicolas Cage worked with Werner Herzog on Bad Lieutenant Two. Uh, port of a Port of Call, New Orleans. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. There was a sequel to Bad... Wait, wait, mm-hmm. wait, hold on. Yeah, Bad Lieutenant, Port of New Orleans. Yeah. Starring Nicolas Cage, directed by Werner Herzog. I didn't realize that that was a sequel. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and directed by Werner Herzog. Was he in the first one? Who? Uh, Nick Cage? No. No, the first one is um, uh, not, uh, uh, Harvey Keitel. I've, I've never... Like, don't worry, I, I have not seen this one. Yeah. Like, this is a Nick Cage one that I have not seen. I keep meaning to. It's It seems yeah, no, crazy. Yeah. Bad Lieutenant is Harvey Keitel and is directed by Abel Ferrara. Oh, okay. 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 Sorry. My apologies, everyone. Of like, like, wait. Yeah. I thought that was just its own thing. Mm-mm. No. I did not realize that it was a sequel. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's... That one is, yeah. It's pretty fucking weird. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Like, I... I I don't know. Nick Cage is one of those. Like, I love him to death. Just about no matter what he's in. If someone says, "Like, let's watch this movie," Nick Cage is in it, I will be like, "You had me at Nick Cage." Like that. It's he's just. He is. I I I really do admire just like how many risks the man takes. With a performance. I mean, there's an... Inc- and it could go anyway. There's an incredible scene in this movie where he just says the alphabet. He he gets really mad that a file has been... Uh, th- that it's possible that a particular piece of filing has gone into the wrong filing cabinet. He declares that he has never misfiled anything in his whole life. And then proceeds to say the alphabet. Uh, now, I, I forget which person this is. It's one of the people from The Big Bang Theory. 
they were the first to point this out, and I think, despite the fact that they're on a terrible show, uh, had a very good point, which is, if an actor can just say the alphabet and make it interesting, can make the scene watchable, can make it something that you kind of can't take your eyes off of, that's good acting. That's a performance. And it's and all chore- it's all choreographed, as you were saying. It, like it's, it's all written out. I, I, it's I, all, like, was it Mick Jagger that he was basing his sort of movements on? I, his poses? And... I believe that is one of the many inspirations for this. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot going on in this performance. Uh, one of the other things that I think is fascinating and actually is actually a great example of uh, Nicolas Cage's benefits and his curses all at the same time. So Nicolas Cage in this movie is doing an absolutely insane accent. The whole time. It is this weird Upper East Side kind of British but pretty bad accent. And if you listen to the commentary track, one of the things that Nicolas Cage brings up is that what he is doing is he is performing this character is the kind of person who would put on a fake accent in order to seem more posh than they actually are and i love that idea i love that note i love that i i've met people like that who are clearly putting on airs or who are putting on a little bit more of a british accent or something in order to seem more cultured or worldly than they actually are the problem with this is is this information is only on the commentary track and interviews with Nicolas Cage and is not in the movie in any way, Never shape, or form. Never addressed. He just talks like And this. so, yeah, it just seems like he is really doing a, a terrible performance, but the, the bad accent is actually on purpose. And one of the hardest things is actually being bad on purpose, but in a in a authentically bad way and not just a not good at acting sort of way, if that makes sense. Yeah. In which case this makes this performance actually really kind of impressive for what he's doing, even if not everything lands because there's just a lot of extraneous, extraneous circumstances that make that, 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 that complement, uh, that complicate the the, the the land. But but along with this, a huge hats off to most like and I would say this is the same throughout the majority of his career, huge hats off to most of his co actors mm-hmm. on set with him. Because like one of the things I'm genuinely impressed with is like everyone else showed up to work. Like everyone else just kind of ran with it and didn't necessarily Seem like they were phoning anything in, or like they thought that this is ridiculous. What the hell am I doing here? Yeah, like Maria Conchita Alonso, uh, Jennifer Beals, and uh, Elizabeth Ashley, all of which give really, really solid, really empathetic performances. A a solid cast of women in this. Yeah, uh, I mean, Maria uh, Maria Conchita Alonso, in particular, who plays his assistant, is. Alva, right? uh, Yes, is, is, is. Absolutely fantastic, and. Wife does. You feel so bad for her from the just the abuse that she's taking from Nicolas Cage this whole whole time just the the gaslighting just the absolute everything that's yeah I wouldn't even call it gaslighting it's just straight up abuse yes absolutely like it's it's not like he's lying to her or pretending that there's any like thing into it like he might pretend to be nice at the beginning 
and then like flip his switch as soon as he like gets her along with him with with him. Like once he gets her in the cab, then he loses his shit at her again. Like he'll apologize, but then immediately become a psycho like right away. Like once she just goes into the room that he wants her to go into. Like I don't even necessarily think that qualifies as like gas. I think it's just he's just an abusive person to this individual like the whole way through well in the gaslighting is just the uh, the constantly telling her that like she needs to go through all of those files to find the thing like it's it is a style of abuse yeah is, is and then finally she actually I mean like as is the case like you keep bringing it up keep bringing it up eventually she has to find it and then she eventually finds it and it means nothing mm-hmm. and it's I, I feel and, and this was um, and she was in Predator 1, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Um, literally the only woman in Predator. Uh, <laughs> so if you have trouble picking her on that movie, uh, I, I don't know what to say to you. But I, I what else has she been in, too? Because like, I, I really enjoy um, her. I so, she's yeah, a, so, so she's not, sorry, she wasn't in Predator. She was in Running Man. Was so, she not in Predator? No, she's in, no, that's, that's a different Hispanic actress. Um, no, she's in Running sorry. Man. She's the... Um, <laughs> She's uh, she's the woman in that who uh, she's in Predator Two. Oh, okay, yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Predator Two, and then she's in Chicago Hope. Uh, she's in uh, FX the series, The Nanny, Outer Limits. She works. Uh, so oh, she's done a lot of work. She's done yeah a ton of stuff. Uh, it looks like a, a ton of stuff in Mexico. Uh, unpopular opinion: well. Predator Two is amazing, and anyone who says otherwise, I I, I don't know what to say. Pre- Predator Two is 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 a whole lot of fun, uh, but yeah, no, uh, no. Maria Chikinchita Alonso is uh, definitely one of the. Uh, is she still with us? Is she still alive? Or? I believe so. Yeah. You know what I found really impressive? Yeah, with she this? is sixty-three years young. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, she's got a little potato of her own. Aww. Oh, she's holding a, a Freddy potato. Oh, yeah. With her, oh, yeah. Freddie, uh, yeah. there's your mom. There we go. Or your great grandmother. Or your cousin, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I found very impressive about this film, and I learning about this in the commentary, was how much this movie was done for. And this impresses me because there are so many extras in this film because a lot of like there's a lot of scenes that take place in, in a club, mm-hmm. um, and in several office buildings. And, you know, it is filled with extras, yet this movie was made for $2 million? Yeah, it's, well, the, there's a, there's a lot of that, a lot of those people who can be mixed around. <laughs> it's, like, they're very smart with their money. They're, they're able to shoot a lot of stuff on these, these stages, which allow them to stretch things a little bit. And then they were able to also go and shoot stuff on the street of New York with really, really long lenses and... Some of the time that Nicolas Cage is like running down the street screaming, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, and people are looking at him like he's totally crazy. You don't need extras for that. Yeah, that's just Nicolas Cage on the actual streets of New York running down the street screaming, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, and people looking at him like he's crazy. I think somebody eventually saw this to me like, oh. Oh, that Wednesday makes so much more sense now. Because to them, that's just another day in New York. I mean, yeah. There's I, as someone who lived if you, in Manhattan. If you've ever been to New York, it's... I lived in Manhattan for a year. There are definite days where you're like... Where if that happened, you'd be like, yep, no, 100%. I have to... I need to go get a bagel because it's, it's the morning. And I God, what food. was... I'm trying to remember which comedian was. He's like... 
choices. Like, like you, you're, you're often given two choices. Like, do I look at the most attractive woman I've ever seen in my life, or do I look at the craziest human being I've ever seen in my life? They're both going in opposite directions, and I don't know what. God damn it! How dare you make me choose between the two? Like that is New York. And so, yeah, I guess it makes perfect sense then that you could pinch your pennies by just literally having him do all this crazy shit amongst the locals. Well, it's just, it, there's a lot less to, to wrangle because there's there's a lot that you can do. There's not a lot of huge single takes in this movie or anything like this. So it's very easy to take ten people and stack them up ten different ways. Is the permit system in New York a lot more forgiving than it is, say, in, like, Chicago? Because, like, if, like, as someone who, like, as you and I both lived in Chicago for a period of time, and, and as especially working with student filmmakers, one of the things they're just like, make sure you have your permits. Or if you're going to do guerrilla filmmaking, don't get caught. They will pretty much take your film. Well, the problem, yeah, become well. A, they can take your film. That's assuming that they know that. The problem is, is they tend to actually take the gear, which, if it belongs to the school, becomes a whole problem for the school, which is the why the school stresses that. Now, I don't, I don't know in particular what the permit situation was like in New York in the eighties. I'm going to assume not a little bit more relaxed. Uh. Yeah, and it depended a lot on what like what you were doing with that camera. Whether you know, there's there's a huge difference between we are shooting two people talking on a corner, and we're doing a gunfight in an alley. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being in Chicago, I had some friends who were making some movies at Columbia, and they were doing a scene. They were doing a chase scene, and. They were doing a scene where some guys were fighting over a briefcase and they were chasing each other down the alley with, oh with, with fake guns. And uh, <laughs> somebody hopped up on top of a, a garage in order to get like a high angle shot. And uh, yeah, then the cops showed up and pulled guns on everybody because they had heard, had reports that people were... There was like a gunfight going on in an alley. Wow. And... There were people climbing on top, and they didn't know what was going on. And like, it took a good twenty minutes of everyone kind of screaming and being freaked out, and people having guns pointed at them for everyone to figure out, like, oh, you guys are just making a movie for Columbia. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I silenced my phone, but I guess I didn't. Okay, so, uh, um, so that was yeah. my wife coming in as Yoda. Yeah, no, so, um, so, so, yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know if anybody knows, uh, please uh, hit us up on the twitters. Uh, at Shutter Show and let us know. Wait, what, so wait, so wait. Were those filmmakers? I'm guessing those filmmakers were fine. And boy, what what was how, like? I, now I have to know how the fuck that turned out. Oh, uh, there. The, uh, basically, the the police officers explained to them in no uncertain terms that a next time they need to be sure to get permits, or b at the very least call the precinct and let them know that you are some film students who are just going to be running around an alley. You know, with some fake guns, and don't like shoot us. Would like just don't, don't just go out and run around and do it. Like give them the heads up. Yeah, for any amateur filmmaker looking to to make a project, it's a very valuable lesson to learn. I'm I'm one of those people where I'm not the biggest fan of guerrilla filmmaking. I find it to be a little 
I get it. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get the product, and sometimes that can be half the story behind the making of a film. But I feel more often than most, it's a real risk that you're taking with your crew, with your cast, with just passerbys. And I just don't think necessarily that guerrilla filmmaking is worth the end product most of the time. A lot of it depends on what the kind of project you're doing. If you're trying to do a horror movie, there's a certain amount of stunts and effects and things that if you don't spend your money on, you're kind of... It's not going to probably end up working out despite the fact that you might have good performances. Yeah. If you're doing something closer to like some, some, something uh, like what do they do with a lot of mumblecore movies... Uh, you're doing something like Kramer versus Kramer, and you've got great performances. Absolutely, you can definitely do some guerrilla low key stuff that will that will end up working out. But uh, the problem is, is a lot of times people try to they try to do like an action film, and they try to do it guerrilla, and that is just a recipe for someone to get hurt. Yeah, and uh, it, it it happens way too often. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, sort of back back on track a little bit here. Um, but so this thing had a budget of two million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, do you happen to know how long it took them to shoot this? I don't know how many days offhand. I get the feeling this was probably, I want to say, in like the twenty-five to thirty-five range. They definitely had time to. Light things nicely to kind of yeah. give Nicolas Cage. It's it's a like despite like once you take like the um, outside of Nicolas Cage, it's a well shot film. Like there was even a point at the beginning where we're, Nicolas Cage comes home with the first woman, and it's very voyeuristic. Yeah, the whole shot of them just about getting ready to get it on is all through the window from the outside, and it does look like somebody's watching. And and that's of course when the bat comes in, but it's as as simple of as a movie as it is. The fact that they spent the two million dollars on it is it's pretty clear because everything looks good, everything looks polished, everything looks. People showed up to work. It doesn't it doesn't seem like anybody. There's really... not like a car chase in the middle of it or something like that where they're really clearly like, you know, where they spent like a quarter of the budget all of a sudden for one particular section. Yeah, the the rubber bat is probably. Which, interesting story behind that, apparently, is is Nicolas Cage wanted a real bat. And he got into a full-blown argument with the director, like, just insisting, no, this has to be a real bat, to the point where he sent his assistant out into the streets of New York to look for an actual bat. Of course he did. And eventually... Eventually, the director was able to rein him in and just be like, I'm sorry, but PETA would tear us to pieces. Oh, uh, story I know I came across. So, when it came to the cockroach scene, one of the producers was like, no, you can't let him eat a cockroach. He's going to get sick. So the director was like, but he's really insistent on eating this cockroach. So he called the doctor and was like, hey, is it going to be okay for Nicolas Cage to eat this cockroach? And the, director, and, the, and the doctor's first response was, okay, first off, you should know this is a very weird question. <laughs> and second of all, he should be fine, but he might want to drink a glass of whiskey afterwards to just like... Kill the germs. P- 
purify things. And the director went, went back to the, the producer and was like, see, it'll be fine. See, I, I have a particular phobia of roaches, mm-hmm. Ken. Like, uh, here's the thing. Like, roaches I, and I, water bugs? Was that a water bug or was it a roach? Because it looked very much like a roach. Uh, I mean, like, water bugs, from what I understand, are just a slightly larger version of the common cockroach. But they're in the same family. Well, then I'm terrified of those two. Because if it even looks remotely like a cockroach, I'm sorry, but I want Yeah, they're, they're, they're the same exact kind of, like, scuttling, any, flatty kind of... Any of my friends who might be listening to this, I know you all know me. And I'm sure at some point you have dealt with me being like, I'm sorry, could you please come over to my house and kill this thing for me, please? Oh, oh yes, Ken. Yes, that's right. If my, like, here's the thing. My wife doesn't necessarily like cockroaches either. I ain't gonna fucking kill a cockroach for her. Here's the thing. Like, my my love for her is close to infinite. That is where the infinity cuts off. I I would do anything for love, but I I won't do that. (laughs) I absolutely will not do that. Cockroaches terrify the shit out of me. Okay, well, if I were to check into a cockroach-infested hotel, I would lose my goddamn mind. If 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 such a situation shows up in which some sort of cockroach or water bug invades your apartment and you and Katie are unable to deal with it, you just call me and I will come I'm take care of, that. of the big... That's totally fine. I... I have been this person for those bugs in like, this kill, house for quite I'll some time. I'll kill the shit. I'll release or kill the shit out of a spider. Like, I don't care about those. There's something about cockroaches mm-hmm. that I j- So watching that scene, I... It's See, one day I'm very, call- very visceral reaction. Yeah, no, one of these days I'm just going to call you and be like, David, there's a cobra in my house. And remember how that I, I killed that cockroach for you that one time. I'm going to need you to come over and deal with this cobra problem. Because you owe me. Like the doctor, I'll be like, well, I want to start off by saying this is a very strange request. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, deal's a deal. I'll be right there and... uh, Should I have a poison remedy ready? Probably. It would probably be a good idea to have some... uh, some some antitoxin of some sort. Do I just bring a big? Are, are we releasing it into the wild or are we killing it? I mean, I think the one first, is certainly easier than the, the other. The first problem would be catching the cobra in my apartment, and then I'd be willing to say that that will be enough of a task. You high freight potatoes. That no, absolutely. Right away, we it would be enough of a task that we would have to take a break afterwards, and then we could discuss what we were going to do with now said captive cobra. Because I feel like talking about what you're going to do with the cobra that you catch that's all, like that's like loose in your apartment is really putting the cart before the horse. Because like catching the cobra is kind of a whole thing. Because like it's like, well, we caught the cobra. But now we have... But to I'm not going to have a conversation with you in a room where there's a live cobra. I'm like... Let's focus on, on the immediate. Well, because like one of the strategies obviously can be you could just walk up to the cobra and be like, I'm just going to grab it. And then you're like, but it's going to bite you. And you're like, yeah, I know. And then we'll put it in the basket. And then you can take me to the hospital. And then we can deal with the cobra. Have you have you seen videos of what certain venom does to blood? Oh, yeah. On, on a, upon immediate reaction. Oh, to yeah. It, it's not good. It, it, like, it, 
it becomes a jelly. I didn't say it was a good strategy. It is terrifying. I'm just saying it was a strategy for dealing with a cobra that's alive in your house. You could just folks, walk up, folks. If you want, if you want to terrify yourselves, literally just bit. just go up on any YouTube video and just look up what does like snake venom do to the blood. Yeah, it's it's not good. It, it's bad. It, like, which is why I wouldn't suggest this strategy. I would suggest perhaps like maybe catching the cobra with a stick and then like getting into a basket. But no matter what happens, just just the stress of catching said loose cobra in your house is going to be stressful enough that you're going to like want to take a breather, yeah, or like have a beer or whatever. And then yeah, we could discuss. Well, are we going to release it into the wild? Are we going to take it to the zoo? Are we just going to like dump it out to sea? I don't know. I've dumpster never, cobra. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Dumpster cobra. I don't know. I, I, it's not a situation I've personally dealt with, but it's. I mean, I feel like I deal with that like at least once a month. I mean, I've definitely we we've all definitely been through a a, a symbolic cobra taming of some sort. <laughs> I'm just saying the specifics of actually dealing with an actual live cobra. All right. Speaking cool. of actual, you get live roaches. Cobras, I get cobras. Yes. No. Hundred percent. Speaking of live cobras and uh, roaches. By the way, did you know that this movie originally was going to star Dennis Quaid? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. That would have been a, a very different film. It was going to be much more of a, a, a yeah a straight film. This this movie actually was written by Joseph Minion, and Joseph Minion is famous because his first screenplay was a movie called After Hours, directed by a little guy named Martin Scorsese. And this Vampire's Kiss and um, let's see here the movie Trafficking all create what's called the uh, Anxiety Loose trilogy, according to the director or according to the, the screenwriter anyway. Uh, let's see another interesting uh, connection and something to mention the cinematographer of this movie was uh, Stefan uh, Chabatsky who actually went on to work quite a bit with uh, with Tim Burton he did really? yeah he did uh, Edward Scissorhands and he did Batman Returns Ed Wood let's see here he did Bulletproof Monk Blades of Glory he did uh uh, Child's Blade, Play Blades two. of Glory was with Napoleon Dynamite, right? Uh, yes, and uh, okay. Will Ferrell. Uh, yes. I always just consider that it's like, oh, that was the other movie that he did. And yeah, I feel was, like I've never seen an actor yeah, for that the was longest. The, yeah, that was uh, Jer- Jared, uh, Jared Hader. Jared Hader. What happened to him? Uh, I'm going what to... Is, I, feel like, I feel like he just disappeared off the face of the planet. I never saw him again. Kind of like um, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I feel like I never see him anymore. Let's see here. What's John Hader been up to? John Hader <laughs> is been. He's uh, let's see excuse here. us while we look up John Hader's Wikipedia. Let's see here. He is in. Uh, let's see here. Last year he was in Tremors, Shrieker Island. Oh, so he's doing very and well for himself. This year, uh, or sorry, no, last year was The Little Penguin, Poro's Dinosaur Island. Damn, Adventure. dude's making bank. And then before that, he was in The Unexpected Race in 2018, which. I guess starred Jack Black as well, so um, he's been paying his bills. So good for him. Hey, good, good for him. Now, now, real quick, and I'm sorry, sorry to get on this tangent. Where, where is Aaron Taylor Johnson? I'm just, I'm begging you, please. Aaron Taylor. Okay, so completely off topic. I know, I know. We're so off topic, and I apologize for this, but watch WandaVision and you'll wonder why I'm wondering what Aaron Taylor Johnson is up to. Let's see here. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson <laughs> is, uh, let's see here, uh, he's uh, in The King's Man uh, with uh, Matthew Vaughn uh, that'll be out this year. He was in Tenet. Oh! And, uh, he was in Tenet? Yep. Oh, he, then he's doing fine. Yeah, no, he was in A Million Little Pieces. 
He was in uh, Outlaw so King. Yeah, no, he's fine. He just does like a movie a year. Yeah, no, he did uh, Nocturnal Animals with Tom Ford. Yeah, he's fine. I don't know what you're worried about. This, okay. is, this is weird. I was worried. You're concerned. I don't know why. He's just not in movies that I watch. Yeah, no, okay. I guess not. No, he's fine. I just, he just didn't, literally, he's he just, 30, do, he literally just does one movie yeah, a year. he's 30, gorgeous, rich, and is in all sorts of successful stuff. He's fine. He's fine, David. You can just. Are you sure? Yes. Ken, are you sure? You can just let I it, worry. Let it go. Let it go. Look at him. No. Look at him. He looks look, so you're, vulnerable. You're frozen. Let it go. Let it, <sighs> let it go. David? Yes? Now, we're going to be coming up on episode 20 here. God damn. Ken, when did, when did we start this? Um, Do you remember how far back it was? Something like 20 weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, something uh, like 20 weeks ago. Let's see here. <laughs> um, what was 20 weeks ago? Uh, September the 16th. God 2020. Damn it. Was the very first episode, the very first and day that we recorded. What a journey it's been this far. It, it has been it has been quite the thing. Now, David, you gave me Now normally we choose between like two movies and you gave me five and that's too many. So I'm going to go ahead and say David of the five movies that you gave me, what are the two 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 trailers that we're going to watch as we travel through time? Okay, because uh, because five is too many. I'm not watching that many. Trailers. Okay, because of the five movies, like here, like I had like Dogtooth, The Woman, Prom Night, The Collector, or Tourist Trap. So I'm gonna take The Collector off there. Like it's a great movie. Okay, but we should. I I, I think that's one that I can hold on to for a little while. I'm not super eager to get to it because it's a little bit. It's a lot more recent. Okay, and a bit more. Um, I suppose you could put it on the same scale as like Resident Evil, okay. where it's like it did about as well as that film. Okay. Um, Prom Night uh, is a classic that you said that you have not seen. I've not. Okay. Um, oh god, because there's a couple of really good ones. On. Okay, so tell you what, I am going to have you choose because I'm going to have you choose between. Uh, Lucky McGee's The Woman. Okay. Or Prom Night. Alright. And if you don't know who the lead of Prom Night is, I don't know what to say to you. But, uh... Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Ugh. All I can say is true lies. That woman made me discover things. I I hope Jamie Lee Curtis one day ruins my life. All right, David. So I don't like, yeah, nothing quite more appropriate for Freaky Friday than a. There we go. Exactly. Um, but yes, so yeah, Lucky McGee is the woman, and um, Lucky McGee is an incredible director who did an amazing movie that Ken and I have both seen, which is why it's not on this list, um, called May, and that was one of those sort of sleeper hits for me that I mm-hmm. saw at the Music Box Massacre with my friend Scott Palmer. Scott, I love you, baby. I miss you so much. I'll see you at my wedding. Um, we saw it and was like, had no idea what the fuck this movie was, and we just sat through it and realized, holy fuck, that was one of the best movies of the night. Um, Lucky McGee is such an amazing director, and his lead for May is in this film, and Prom Night is just straight up a classic. Um, I'm so surprised that you haven't seen it. Yeah, no, it's just uh, one of those ones that I, I always kind of meant to get to, but I, I never, I never quite did. So I'm, I'm uh, yeah. excited so, to. So Ken, since this, do that. since this is a Freaky Friday, uh, Ken, I'm going to send you to get the time machine if you don't mind. It's very heavy, and I'm so ever tired. Beep 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you'll take a step right this way. I'll go ahead and close oh, the well, door behind you, us. Sir. Oh, I'm excited. Ready? And... Again, the future, my friend. I'm a new man. I'm still the same guy. Huh. Well, that's not so bad. Yeah, no, no, no. It was, it was fun. Ken, so, uh, Ken we, yeah. you are a snack. Don't you don't oh. don't don't you let yourself think otherwise. Well, I'm trying to earn that second C. Yeah. There, there we go. go. <laughs> now, we watched we watched those two trailers. Now I'm gonna go ahead Yeah, what what are we what are we what are we picking between the two? See, it is a tough choice because they're both Movies I feel like I should have seen already, but I haven't yet. However, things are dark, so I'm going to say let's go with Prom Night and keep things a little loose, a little fun, and I frankly, I wouldn't mind looking at Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, and let's keep things, as you said, very magenta. Oh my goodness. The, I, Just the trailer from your Hopefully over. the print that... the. That, that Shudder has is not nearly as magenta as the trailer because, wow, yeah, that was a real... Toss a green in there every once in yeah, a while. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's a real... You need to color correct and balance that out. Anyway, David, question. Is there anything that you want to plug? Any pluggables that you have? Or do you want to let these people know where they can find you on the interwebs? Um, before I go plug in my pluggables, um, I would like to just take a quick moment to recognize the passing of a fucking titan... And I think you know who I'm talking about. Mr. Uh, Peanut. Uh, no, that was like a year ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. I, though I still haven't quite learned how to properly process that loss. And Sure, he had a baby, but it's just not enough. It's actually pronounced Peanut, which Peanut. is actually a thing that a lot of people don't know. Yeah, they don't, they don't really respect the fact. It's just how French he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was. But no, I am, I am speaking of... The fascist-punching, Nazi-hating Christopher Plummer. Indeed. Who we lost um, just a couple of days ago. And God damn it, what a fucking titan he was. And I will deeply miss him. And I'm so sad that, like, we'll maybe get a couple more movies of things that maybe were post, or in post-production. But... My, my favorite quote was... Someone said, once again, Christopher Plummer going out, taking a role that should have gone to Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Which, chef's kiss, my friend. Absolute chef's oh, kiss. Oh, God. Christopher Plummer, you are amazing. We will miss you so fucking much. And if you want to express how much you uh, miss him, you can go ahead and do that on our Instagram account at Shutter underscore show on the Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at uh, at Shutter Show. Mm-hmm. Or you can find me on Instagram as well at underscore DW Marlowe and find the many musings and random life that is me. Or you can find me on the Twitters and the Instagram at Ken Stachnik, K-E-N-S-T-A-C-H-N-I-K. And other than that, I think we are done for the evening. And until next week, David... I hope you and the rest of the internet have a lovely evening, a delightful day, a beautiful afternoon, and more importantly, 
I think it's it's very important that you all go fuck yourselves.